Hello everyone and welcome to the That's a Rap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, wrap, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. And I've started. I'm your host, Joe Downey. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Parkinson. <laughs> started off great, I've started already. Okay. It's okay. Remember, guys, because we, we've, been, we've been out of the game a bit, to uh, follow our Instagram at TAWpodcast. That is TAW Podcast, and if you want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open over there. You can also check out our Facebook page if you type up That's A Rap Podcast or TAW Podcast, and make sure to give us a like and share, as it really helps out the show. We are available on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Overcast, and Apple Music. So make sure to give us a follow on those platforms and leave a review where available. Uh, if you'd like to keep up to date with the latest films that we've seen both in and outside the podcast, you can check out our letterbox pages at Joe Film User and Clappy B. Yeah. Uh, the date of recording today is the 24th of January, and the time of recording is 1.01. Nice little palindrome. And, uh, yeah, so we've got... It's the first uh, episode of the, of the year. Of the year, it's yeah. That's insane. Technically a season two, but I, I don't know if it changes the number or not, so we're either episode 16... Yeah. Or we're episode one of season two. We'll work so. that out. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we've got a very special guest on, on the podcast today. Would you like to introduce our wonderful guest today, Matt? Uh, yes, we've got my wonderful dad here, Mr. Michael Parkinson. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> it's delightful no to be here. Um, you're, say, you're working your way through the Parkinson family one by one. Um, with us, uh, that's right. Podcast all about family values, so um, <laughs> we picked the most family-friendly films today. Um, could you tell us uh, a bit about what what films we're going to be chatting today and and why we are talking about said director today? Yes, yeah, so we're going to be uh, talking about Sunshine, Trance, and Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, so these are all films by Danny Boyle, um, and I chose them firstly because these are films I like. Um, and what was interesting about this whole exercise is that. Having watched them more critically, because I was conscious of the fact that we'd be talking about them, one of them I like less, um, <laughs> one of them I like just as much as I used to, and one of them I hadn't seen before. Um, I oh. liked it a bit, uh, <laughs> but not very much, uh, and so we, right, we can talk right. about that. But the, the reason I chose Danny Boyle, I think, is because there's a kind of a range across these films, so they're quite different, and you can imagine them having been written or directed by very different people and then one of the things I found from watching them more critically learning from my erudite son hey. is that um, <laughs> there are things amongst those three films which they have in common which makes me think actually now I, I get it a bit more as why you could see these are Danny Boyle films as opposed to being films by different mm. uh, directors or, or writers so yeah I chose them because I like Danny Boyle's films two of them Two of these films I've seen many times and saw them through a different lens, so to speak, this time. And one of them was on my list of films to see 28 Days Later, which I hadn't seen oh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the same. It's, uh, I think the only one that I'd seen before was Sunshine. It's the only one I've actually got a DVD of today. Right. Obviously, <laughs> podcast listeners can't see this, but yeah, I got a DVD from there a charity shop because they had a bunch of Danny Boyle films for a pound. So I picked up that. Train spotting and Slumdog Millionaire, but you you made a very good point there. Where it's like Danny Boyle doesn't necessarily have like a stereotypical auteur style where you can go that's a Danny Boyle film. Uh, he's very experimental, does different genres, yet there's still something that links them all. Uh, what do you think about that quality, Matt? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, he does work within a different range of genres. But I think after watching 
a bunch of his films, you do pick up on the visual similarities. Like he has right. a real great flair with his direction. There's a lot of energy to the films he directs. A lot of like the way he uses light is very sort of, it's very bright and very sort of in your face and the editing and the sort of camera angles are very skewed. And it's just, it's very visceral the way he directs. I think, you know, it's very kind of in your face and... Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, light and in your face, <laughs> we go with the, the first film wow. today, which we is this so Sun- wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was the yeah, I'm like a radio DJ now with these with these segues. <laughs> um, yeah, so our, our first film of the day is Sunshine. Now, guys, we usually do the Google synopsis of the day. However, we've got an amazing option of uh, whether or not you want the Google synopsis or the the DVD blurb. Let's have the DVD so blurb. blurb. Uh, DVD, DVD yeah, the okay. charity shop DVD blurb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so the DVD blurb says it is the year of 2057. The sun is dying and mankind faces extinction. Earth's last hope rests with a courageous crew of eight men and women on a mission to ignite the fading star with a massive nuclear weapon. Deep into their voyage, out of radio contact with Earth, their mission begins to unravel and they find themselves fighting not only for their lives but the fu- for the future of us all. What do we think of said blurb? I think that's pretty decent as a synopsis. Yeah, Yeah, there we are. Um, I think with two two out of three of these films, we may have to skirt around certain stuff. So if we sound particularly vague, it means please watch the film because (laughs) we don't want to ruin the experience for you. We can can go off of what's out in the public and whatnot. Um, But yeah, so this came out in 2007... And uh, what were your... So this, you rewatched it, Matt, right? So this is my uh, third time watching it, actually. Oh, so wow. the first time I watched it was years and years ago, I think. Because my, my dad introduced me to Danny Boyle films because he was you were a big fan of his work, yes. aren't you? And you yeah. had them for a while. So when I was younger, I think, just starting college, I was introduced to his films. And yeah, I watched Sunshine for the first time a while ago. And then I watched it again about four months ago and then again about a week ago. And it's interesting, like my opinion of it hasn't really changed while even though I've seen it three times and I think it's the only film that we're going to talk about today where it's kind of my opinion of it has been very consistent throughout. I I like this film a lot. I think most of it is a really solid sci-fi film. I'm just referring to my notes here saying that, yeah, um, I think the premise is uh, really interesting and set up very well and very efficiently, you know, our our sun is dying. We have to reignite it. It's set up very bang efficiently. does a good job at that. I think uh, the characters are pretty good. I don't think the characters are terribly memorable, but they're pretty distinct and I think they play off each other well. Like, I think there's a good dynamic between them and how they overcome sort of moral dilemmas. Because I think for the first half of the film, there's sort of this sequence of escalating events that are sort of escalating in terror and danger. And I think that's sort of built up very well throughout the film. And it's kind of like a domino effect because I don't want to spoil too much, but Killian Murphy right. has like one big decision to make near the beginning of the mm. film. And then this sort of causes more bad things to happen, which causes more bad things to happen. And I think that's played off really well. I think Danny Boyle's direction of this film is really good. Like I said, it's very visceral and you get a real sense of like the presence and the danger of the sun. I think at the beginning, like I wrote down one of my favorite scenes is where the character is looking at the sun at 2% capacity mm. and you sort of get these little cut shots of like um, the sun increasing in brightness and the close up on the eye. 
I really like that. It gives a real sort of sense of the danger they're facing. I, I just really liked it. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I wrote, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but I do think the last <laughs> third of the film is a bit bonkers, right. and I think we're going to go we'll, into that We'll, in we'll a bit get more into detail. that in, in a moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, one... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I, I was I, just going to... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> the, the problem, sadly, guys, if it sounds like at any point we're talking over each other, we're not being rude, Discord has a delay. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, one thing I've got noted here is that if for a film released in the 2000s, it's aged uh, rather well. Yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of people claim that this film is like one of the most overlooked or underrated films. And I was just wondering, Mike, why would you think that this film would be overlooked by audiences? I think it's interesting because of the three films, this is the one where my opinion changed uh, for the worse, having watched it more critically. And one of the things that struck me when I watched it again and, and, and thought a bit more deeply about it was about the number of other films that it reminded me of. Um, mm, yeah. And so there are scenes, again, with giving nothing away at all, but the scenes where the crew are sitting around their table, just chewing the fat and arguing and, and bitching a little bit, it's alien. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. a lot of alien influence. And even the colour of the film and the way the camera moves around and the interaction and the looks and glances between the crew, all of that made me think of Alien. Um, and there's another film called Silent Running, which I, I don't know oh, if you right, know. Yeah. But again, it's another sci-fi, and that's driven by the story of, again, the Earth is dying, and we've got a botanist um, on a spaceship looking after um, plant life, etc., etc., um, and I thought, oh, yeah, this reminds me of Silent Running. And I wonder if it's overlooked because there's a sense that you've seen it before. And right, I, yeah. I, think it, I think it ages well because I think the special effects are astonishingly brilliant. Mm. Yeah. And I think the sound, because one of the, the notes I made, again, I just made some sort of bullet points, but I wrote The Sound of Sunlight because, mm. again, as, as you were saying about sitting in the viewing room where the psych officer is watching the sun and turns the brightness up and the sound that comes with it of a sort of a rushing mm. gale force wind of sunlight I found just really compelling. That's I think a good that's, description actually, it's just a gale really, force wind. I think yeah. it's really clever and really striking. So I think there's elements of the film that I agree make it an overlooked good film um, but there's enough in it that made me think I've seen it before and then yeah. this idea the thing I wrote down again was just that I felt I was watching two films. That, yeah. That there is, yeah. There is, <laughs> there is a, a tipping point, shall we say, in the yeah. film where you yeah. think, hang on a second, Did, have I just changed channels? Because something, <laughs> something unexpected has happened here and I thought I was watching one sort of film and now I'm watching another. And I think yeah. that when I watched it most recently in the last week, that struck me more and more because I was kind of watching it more closely and not just being carried along by the special effects and the sound and the music. And, mm. and I love the cast. I think, I love, you know, lots of favourite actors in this. Mm. But then this jarring switch, um, right. I thought, really? You know, it, really? It's, yeah, it's very interesting because it's like, it's billed as like a sci-fi horror, but realistically, there, there are horror like eerie elements looming over throughout the whole film, but it, you know, it goes full pelt towards the third act and it tonally is very scatterbrained i was wondering what you you, you had something to say about that earlier matt um you were alluding to it i was just yeah what did you think tonal tonally yeah tonally it definitely does change from like a really solid 
sci-fi drama to straight-up horror. And I think right. there's the introduction of that person, mm. that character, <laughs> and, you know, without revealing too much, I think his motivations are quite vague and a bit pretentious because it's right. like he's not a very well-set-up character, I think, and his sort of... His, his conflict and this sort of big message that the film goes for in this last third is a bit kind of rushed and kind of pseudo-intelligent, I think. This sort of, who are we think, to mess with the sun kind of thing. And yeah. it just, it feels very forced, I, I think. I think also, there's, as you said at the beginning, the thing is set up very plausibly, yeah. where you believe that it's 2057 and you believe that there's a problem with the earth and the sun and you believe they found a way. All of that's believable and kind of rational. Um, and then it flips into something that's neither believable nor rational. Um, yeah. And I think there's, again, it's hard not to keep drawing the comparison with Alien in terms of the, you know, running around a spaceship being followed by something. Um, right. And that <laughs> feeling that you've seen it before. Um, yeah. And so, it, yeah, it was... I was I was anxious about doing this podcast with you guys because I thought it would make me watch films that I loved and that I'd stopped <laughs> loving them. Um, right. And that's... It is the case with this one, but I don't feel disappointed. I feel like I've... I've, right. watched, I've watched it properly and I, I feel properly critical of it now because I, I just feel it's a bit disappointing that it, it makes that switch of genre partway through the movie. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's interesting with like how you're saying the believability of it because it's supposedly like a very scientifically accurate film. Like uh, uh, Brian Cox was the supervisor and consultant for it, for, a lot, uh, for the film. However... It's almost like, what's the point of all this accuracy when you're kind of just going to ditch it yeah. in the third act? Yeah. Um, Maybe they brought that's... the other Brian Cox in at that point. So they, they had the physicist <laughs> yeah. for we the got first the wrong half. one. <laughs> and, then, and then they had... The actor's like, I know nothing about science, yeah. guys. What's happening? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, I, I feel like maybe that's just a, a, a worry of... 2007 audiences at that time because when re-watching it even though I kind of know what's happening due to seeing it, seeing it before uh, and the CGI is uh, good however when I was watching it on the se second watch I, I had to keep reminding myself what's going on in this moment like what part are they fixing and uh, etc and it can arguably like get caught up in its own jargon and repeating that they need to deliver the payload, deliver the payload. Uh, and yeah, I can understand if, if it was the case of like, they got some studio notes where it's like ratchet the tension up a bit, go crazy here. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it is quite crazy for a studio uh, sci-fi. Like it, it yeah. does some pretty wild stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a fun fact here. Uh, the, uh, the helmets, the, the space, uh, the astronaut helmets were uh, moulded off of Kenny from South Park, apparently. <laughs> that kind of makes sense when you uh, think about it. I like that fact. <laughs> a sort of golden yeah, I think, Kenny. I think, yeah, I agree with you that it does, there are moments where it gets caught up in its own jargon and like, I'm praising the first two thirds of this film, but it's, you know, those first two thirds aren't flawless, even though they are better. Right. I think it does fall into sort of the common sci-fi pitfalls that make it a little bit cliche. Like a lot of the characters a kind of sort of hot-headed and obnoxious just for the sake of we need conflict in this scene. Yeah. It's like Chris yeah. Chris Evans' character is kind of 
he's a bit of an asshole sometimes. He has he has some good moments later on, but there's a there are a couple of moments, and there's the other um, actor. I can't remember his name, but he is the captain is the, for a the, bit. The comms officer. The comms Harvey. officer. Yeah, Harvey, he's kind yeah. of just a very unlikable bad character who kind of his conflict just kind of pushes. Yeah. The the plot along. I'd, uh, we might be thinking of different. No, I people. think I, I can't name the actor. I, I I I see that because I think the Chris Evans one is, they are, you get a feeling the characters are drawn with a very broad brush, mm. and Chris Evans right. is a almost a caricature of the sort of fighter pilot style. Yeah. I've got a mission. Sort and of nothing Top Gun will, kind yeah, of exactly. <laughs> and then mm. the female character who I think is played is it Rose Byrne? Rose Byrne, yeah, is at the other end of the spectrum. Can, they are polar opposites mm. um, and when they come to making those difficult decisions that conflict seems you know, almost cartoonish because they are such extreme right. versions of those considerations that as yeah. human beings you have to take into account when you decide to do one thing or the other I think it's fine like it services the story yeah. pretty well and it moves the film along at a decent pace but it's kind of uninspired I think at a way of creating conflict and it's yeah. like we've seen these character archetypes before like you said in Alien yeah. where it's like oh we need the asshole character because the film needs conflict and yeah we're what Chris Evans is doing yeah. yeah it's like just I don't know it, it's just it's, yeah sorry go on with what you, it's interesting you were mentioning the editing earlier I felt that the editing didn't help at times for the tone and I don't know if that's the editing or if just like they've sometimes got on a bad take performance wise but like for instance uh, uh, in the beginning it just like cuts to Chris Evans and Killian Murphy fighting immediately and it's like oh I, I want the setup for this yeah. like, it's too <laughs> yeah. it's too jarring there's a couple or, of moments or, like that yeah. or you have like the Chris Evans like heroic moment and it uh, it like jump cuts to him being like we're gonna make it and it's and then they're, like <laughs> <laughs> it seems so out of place or like uh, it, they have a lot of focus on breath between in the uh, the astronaut suits yeah, yeah. Um, and it cuts to like Killian Murphy going <laughs> And it's just like it's cartoonily done, even though it it, it's, yeah. it means well. Yeah. Uh, like I can see the reasoning behind each choice. However, it it comes across a bit cartoony or out of place. I think yeah. in general, like the film is is successful in it in its tone, but it's also very very messy at times, yeah. and that's probably yeah. why. Like I see why it gets overlooked in that case, yeah. because with films that are like deemed as super overlooked or underrated, uh, nine times out of ten for me, I like. You see why? Because they're not entirely perfect. Yeah, yeah. We've had that on previous episodes, I think, as well, mm. where we talk about films that are very unknown. And yeah. some people seem to like them, but we just, I don't know. There's a, there's a, yeah. I have a very dad comment to make as well, because there's a, a, a moment in the film where Chris Evans reappears and he's had an excellent haircut. Mm. And it's like, in the middle of all of this, shouldn't you be concentrating on delivering the payload, <laughs> not I, grooming? I thought the same thing on, on first... On first watch, I thought, oh, they've just cut to him having a haircut without any explanation. And then I watched it again recently, and it's very quietly said to him that he needs a haircut during um, the therapy scene. It's like, oh, that's a sound issue or something. Like, it was, yeah, because first time watching, I'm like, oh, he's got he's got a buzz cut. Okay, yeah. cool. What was the point of him having long hair? It's like, oh, didn't see the shit like, barber coming on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was that character. Yeah, yeah. And, but it, it's another film where I like. I've seen most of those actors in other things which I really, really like. 
and it's like Killian Murphy and uh, Benedict yeah. Wong is in it as Benedict well, Wong is really good like. I like the actor who plays the captain yes, I can't remember Japanese what he's called but he's plays, really yeah. good um, I found uh, is Hiroki Sanada and I found yeah. out he was recommended to Danny Boyle by Wong Kar Wai so that goes nice. back yeah. to our our second episode but yes. um, also I'm I love Michelle Yeoh like just because of um, I'm a massive Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon fan and yeah. apparently Danny Boyle was so impressed with her audition that he he told her that she could choose any part oh uh, wow and like and ch- you can change the gender or whatever and she uh, decided to be the the biologist yeah that's the dream um, isn't it choose any part yeah George yeah. so she's great I, I love her um, but the <laughs> I that character is an odd one for me because I understand if you're a biologist, if you're a botanist, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna love your plants. But again, might have been a bit cartoony at times. Yeah. Or I'm like, oh no. There is a, <laughs> a bit that just reminded me. I don't know which came first. Probably maybe this film came first. So I'm being unfair. But it reminded me of Wally. This was mm. just before Wally, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I thought, hang on a minute. I've seen this before <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, just to kind of draw this to a close, yeah. this film, just to mm. keep. Um, I, like, I say that I wasn't a big fan of the last third of the film, but I did actually like the ending. I thought the, the ending, ending was solid. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they get it. They deliver the... They, they do... Well, I'm not going to spoil it. They, they, it's a good ending. They, <laughs> the um, thing is achieved. <laughs> the thing is achieved. Um, and it kind of draws back to a scene at the beginning, which is really nice. Yeah. And I right. like the music in the film that sort of plays yeah. at the end. I think it's really I mean, good. The, the... Can, I, can I quickly say something about the music? And it, yeah, it, it kind on. of goes into our next film. Um the the score for this film and the next film we're doing are really good scores but they're ruined for me personally when I watch them because Kick-Ass stole them stole the songs and used oh, them really? within that film oh no so in Kick-Ass there like uh, there's a action scene uh, with, uh later on with with Mark Strong and Nick Cage's character and it's it's literally just the sunshine theme uh, and then also when watching our next film I was like oh this is from here oh um, no and yeah. Was it that music scored specifically? Days later. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, no. I just, sorry. Sorry. I, I couldn't hear you there. Just one quick question: Was the music specifically scored for Sunshine, or was it pre-existing? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was my last yeah. question. <laughs> so that's so uh, the, the message is that I shouldn't watch Kick-Ass if I want to continue enjoying <laughs> Sunshine, basically. Yeah. Because that that was my final point on this: is that the the kind of the acid test for whether I think the film's good or not is would I watch it again? Yeah. And right. even though I've watched Sunshine and and kind of unpicked it. For the purposes of having this conversation, would I watch it again? Yeah, I would absolutely. I would watch it. So again. would I. Maybe yeah, not for a definitely. while because I've seen it <laughs> three times now and yeah. two very recent. So I'll, I'll leave it for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes. But it's like e- yeah. even though it's that like tried and tested sci-fi formula of like we're in space, we're searching for the cure for this, and you know, um, and we know like the beats it's going to hit. It still does it very well and brings yeah. different elements like the scientific accuracy and, and the great score and the cast yeah. so it's yeah. definitely worth watching even if it is sometimes a bit tonally all over the place yeah um yeah yeah and right. uh so like i was saying the uh so kick-ass uses the sunshine theme but it also uses music for our next film which is 28 days later uh we don't have the dvd blurb for this i'm afraid i have to go back to google <laughs> i'm afraid uh, so it's a 2002 film and Google says after a mysterious virus wreaks havoc in the United Kingdom a team of survivors try to cope with the aftermath of the disaster and find security where, where, where do we stand with that synopsis is it accurate to the film yes I think yeah. so I think so yeah I'd say so yeah. 
Yes. Everyone, um, everyone's so, an expert on virus and, and uh, pandemic now, oh, aren't less, they? So less, 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 less uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> we want to make this podcast well, timeless. <laughs> I was going to say, watching it was very eerie, especially uh, just seeing the opening London scene. Yeah. Oh, God, it, yeah. it being very vacant. Yeah. Um, it's just very eerie to watch now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, the second film of this podcast that Alex Garland has written, I think. Yes. Is this his, is this his first script? This was his first script that he wrote, yeah. His first feature script that Alex Garland wow. wrote. And Sunshine was his second? No, I don't know. Okay. He'd, uh, maybe. And then there's the... Oh wait, I think The Beach and then, then Sunshine. Did he write The Beach? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Because he, he did the book and then he did the script and Ewan McGregor was going to be in sunshine or 20 he's going to be in one of them but because right. of the dispute he had with danny boyle about not being in the beach he wasn't in it <laughs> so killian murphy has, has been in two of these so far and he's a very good danny boyle lead but um i think like this has been on my watch list forever um it's you know your classic zombie story however for me i found that watching the zombie films that came after it and that were influenced by it ruined the experience for me because i knew what was going to happen how is that for you guys in um, regards to like the structure and the, the beats i so th- this is the first time i'd seen this film i I'd, I'd never seen okay. it before um i have real problems with this film i have to say um so i'm not sure this is a film i would watch again um, okay and it, it comes back to what we were just saying about sunshine i think is that i feel i've seen this film loads better in films that okay. came before it and films that have come after it. Um, okay. And the, the, again, without wanting to be too sort of pointy-headed about it, there was a kind of a plausibility thing in this where a number of things just didn't work for me. And at, okay. the, at, at the most basic level, you know, my question is, where is everybody? You know, they, <laughs> I know, I know yeah. it's, it's a virus and it's a pandemic, but there's no... very few abandoned cars there's a a small pile of bodies here and there but a country of 70 million people right and and we see 10 you know and it's it's i just i just found that difficult because i thought having seen films like world war z world war z and even going all the way back to things like day of the triffids both Mm. the sort of tv series and, and movies there's a plausibility about them where you kind of get it and you can kind of put yourself in a position where you imagine that could happen. And, you know, sitting in a pandemic, not wanting to go on about that, but um, you have a sense of what's realistic and what's not. And I thought there were too many things in this that would just clang, you know, that doesn't work. What, really? Where is everybody? Um, So I, I struggled with it. I think that... And there were there were one or two moments in the film where a decision is taken by a character, and there's one again without giving too much away when they're there's a, they're on a drive and they choose to go to cross the river in a particular way, right? And they cho- and you know London and all of the ways you can get from one side of London to the other, and they choose the one where you think why it's like Scooby Doo, you know, it's like <laughs> let's split up. Let's split up. Or let's go down this deep dark hole. I think Sunshine has that issue as well. The whole let's yeah. split up thing is yeah. just it's gotta be thrown in the uh, trash you've at the Gotta have drama, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um I so did you have more you wanted to say? Well no, the the other thing that struck me about this and and it's comes back to what I was saying at the beginning about sort of finally getting it that you can see 
what makes the film a Danny Boyle film, and it's right. and it was about the look of it, and so in Sunshine, and I'm glad we did that one first. Now, obviously, the sound and the those visuals of the well, I'm not sure what the technical term is, but it's where the screen sort of flares because there's too much light. Yeah, uh, like a lens flare. I a guess. Lens, lens overexposure. So you yeah. get um, a distortion and. Yeah. And, and obviously that happens in Sunshine necessarily. And you get bits of that in 28 Days Later, just the way the, the light comes across and it kind of obliterates the screen a little bit. So I thought that was um, interesting and, and made it good to watch, made it, made it pleasurable to watch. And the, and the other thing, there are some set-piece images in the film that I really liked. And there's one where on the, they're on the roof of the block of flats where he's mm. tried to catch rainwater... Yeah, that was... That's yeah, a stunning... Buckets. Some yeah. of the buckets had holes yeah. in though. <laughs> That's a, a stunning huh? visual. Some of the buckets had holes in, says my son. Oh, all right, yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, but that, I think that's a stunning visual. So there are things like, like that, that yeah. which, are, which make you think, wow, that's a great look. That's, a, that's something that looks interesting and exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting you mention the look because this is quite a successful film with a ca- like a camera that's not that great of a camera and I, I love <laughs> how it looks because it's, it's the it's the DP of um, films such as Festin uh, it's uh, Ad, how do I pronounce this guy's name and Anthony Dodd uh, Mantle and he's done a lot of Danny Boar's films after this um, and obviously Festin's Dogma 95 film uh, where films are shot on like tiny like Sony Handycam like those cameras you get you record on holiday on, on mini DV and I think it really adds to this particular film because it looks very like fuzzy and grungy and it, it fits yeah. the the setting it's in. Um, and I think that's why Danny Boyle picked it. Um, I've that, forgotten that, my point. No, but the, the, <laughs> how it looks is important and the graininess. Because yeah. again, I, I, I jotted that down because all the way through the film, there is this grainy like news footage feel to, right. to some of it, which works really well. I think that's clever. And then I think, and you guys are experts at this, so you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I think in the final <laughs> scene, when um, yeah. they're trying to attract attention, it's crystal clear. Yes, I noticed that. It's absolutely that. crystal I, I clear. I wasn't a fan of that at all. I liked it. I <laughs> thought I, it was... I, I, I thought it was noticeable. I understood why, yeah. but I, I just... I, just I, I love deliberately lo-fi looking stuff. <laughs> and I, I get, like... It, it, it like you said, it adds to the archival feel of it. Yeah. Um, I I've got a note down on here, and it kind of fits to another note. I I put, was going to talk about Brendan Gleeson, but under that I put stereotypical Brits, and by that I mean this film has like if it's perfect for Americans because it's pretty much just how they see British people. Everyone speaks like, do you know what I mean? Like it's really <laughs> Brendan Gleeson isn't doing his Irish accent. It was very weird to hear him speak. Like, yeah, I found in that a Cockney well. accent and. Yeah. And then Christopher Eccleston is, is sounds a lot more posh in this rather than um, I don't know where he's from now. Damn, he's, he's northern. I, I everyone think, has up yeah. north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone sounds a bit like uh, a bit Oliver Twist. And <laughs> I, 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 was, um, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, but I guess it helps. It helps its success. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I find um, I must admit I did find that a distraction because so, again yeah. this is a film with lots of actors in who I really, really like. So Killian Mur- right. Murphy, Brendan Gleeson, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston. And mm-hmm. again, you think, what a high-quality group of people making this film. Yeah. How brilliant. 
And then you think, why is Brendan Gleeson talking like that? <laughs> yeah. it could have it's, been, it's yeah. actors you get for their voices as well. Like, we've seen Killian Murphy do other accents like Peaky Blinders and all this stuff, but uh, I don't, he doesn't sound like he, he doesn't sound like he's got his normal Irish accent. It sounds a bit more brummy and it sounds a bit rough around the yeah. edges. I think the only person that kind of sounds like themselves is Naomi Harris. But yeah, like Chris Ferguson and Brendan Gleeson, those are people you get for their voice. Yeah. Uh, especially Brendan Gleeson. It's like a great voice and yet it's just like I don't know if it's because I know the accent prior or or not but it it was just way too muddy for me and it seemed like uh, how Americans look at us (laughs) I think um, Um, sorry go on no no no, you're you're all good Uh, I was just going to say I had a few notes about this film like because aside from the performances I had a few notes uh, character wise about this film because I think although Killian Murphy is a good actor I don't I didn't feel his protagonist in this film did much for the film. He was kind of a blank slate, I feel like. Also just terrible decision-making, like, we'll stop shouting hello in zombie-filled environments. Yeah, because there was a moment about halfway through this film, a big moment, which I won't spoil, but it made me want to scream at the screen for the last hour because there was a really... It could have gone for a really great moment, but it squandered it, and... Because basically in the film you have Killian Murphy's character who is kind of, they set him up as being the more sympathetic between him and Naomi Harris's character. And there's a kind of dichotomy there. She's sort of every man for himself, every woman for herself. And he's sort of more, he sympathises with other people more. And there's a really great moment in this film about halfway through, maybe a bit more than halfway through, where that, their character motivations could have switched and it's with right. something that Killian Murphy was about to do with another character, but then didn't right. because yeah. some yeah. other people off screen did it. I th- do you know what I'm talking sure. about? I'm trying to do this I in think code I, I, so I, I don't th- spoil it. <laughs> oh, you're chopping in and out. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if we're thinking the same thing, but in general, he kind of just becomes Rambo. Uh, yeah, he's, his arc, <laughs> he doesn't really have an arc in this film, apart from he's violent at the end. And I think they could right. have done a lot better with that because that he's kind of his purpose in the film is to like say sarcastic things a bit and just to kind of look sad and he could have had an actual arc in this film but it just it it feels i I really want to talk about this but i don't want to spoil the film (laughs) so (laughs) one one thing i've realized uh is in regards to his character that uh the synopsis fails to mention oddly enough is that obviously he is uh, like He's clearly meant to be the audience because he is woken up 28 days later yes. from the apocalypse. Yeah, we're learning at the same time as him, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I get what you mean, where it's like, he, he's kind of just like a wanderer. But um, do, do you know you know the scene I'm talking about? Yes, Dad, I Because I mentioned it to you before yeah. the episode. <laughs> Mime it out. <laughs> and I'm like... not sure how to describe <laughs> it, because I really want to talk about it without... Yeah. without um, Okay. Ruining it, but yeah. it's it but there is, there's, Brendan there's, Gleeson's character. There is a Killian moment Murphy. when he. Yeah, yeah, no, I, okay, I get yeah. you now. That yeah, scene yeah. could have been amazing, yeah. and yeah. they squandered it. They yeah. squandered it. If, if you guys have watched it, you'll understand. If yes. not, come back to this part. It's such a great it, but yeah. turning point for his character, but yeah. they sure. don't do anything with it. They just waste it, and it's just. It could it have just, been a really uh, great arc, but it wasn't. Like, but I think, to be fair, though, he does. I mean, his character does change through the film. So he starts off bit, as, yeah. as being the sort of, I don't know what's going on, and surely right. things can't be as bad as this. And no, let's be sympathetic and not be every man for himself. Mm. And then clearly he turns into Rambo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just thought it could film. have been a bit more 
focused in yeah. that sense. Right. Because that, that was your thing that just struck me about I've seen it before was um, Day of the Triffids starts in okay. exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. All right. Where the protagonist wakes up in hospital having, because the story for him is he's been, stu- he works on a triffid farm, he's been stung by a triffid, so he's having eye surgery. Mm. And so he's missed the sort of cataclysmic event that made everyone go blind and, and allow the triffids to take over. So he's, he wakes up in hospital, takes his own bandages off and wanders around the empty hospital shouting, hello. Yeah. So right. if any of this sounds familiar from, yeah, yeah, from 28 yeah. Days Later, but it's, it's almost identical. I mean, almost it's, step for step. It's for weird scene. how like, zombie films can kind of end up eating themselves and like everything kind of repeats off of the previous one or something because this one was super influential but like you think the influence would change to some different story beats but Walking Dead that series like the opening of Walking Dead is the opening of this film and then because of the Walking Dead I know all the beats that this film is going to hit because it's always with zombie films it's like ah it's really depressing Uh, and then we're safe we're happy oh no we're happy danger again and throughout the entire film and it's like i can i'll never trust when anyone's happy in a zombie apocalypse yeah especially (laughs) if there's still 25 minutes to go you know yeah exactly (laughs) you you know you're just waiting for that second shoe to fall yeah yeah i also and and then like all of them have the you know go to the shop get all the food oh i'm so happy right now because all this food is free um (laughs) i was thinking of zombie land when that that scene oh yeah zombie land does it yeah yeah i remember that I'm just wondering what it is about because I love love zombie films, even though it, like it would be so depressing to be in one. Um, uh, but like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, change with yeah. them with the genre. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think cause I think World War Z, World War Z, does it better in my view, just okay. because I th- I think it is plausible and you can and the characters do grow and change, and but it goes through all of those same steps of jeopardy right. and and. You're safe. No, you're not. Yeah, you, no, you're not. And, and so, and that kind of ricochets around again and again. But yeah. I, and I'd watch that film again. But I'm not sure I'd watch this one again because I didn't feel there was anything in it that was sufficiently new or different. And I think there were bits of it that I thought, yeah, really, yeah. I, I don't believe that bit of the story. Uh, it's a, it's, a, a yeah. friend of ours. A friend of ours said that like this film has a very memorable open opening sequence and then everyone kind of forgets the rest of the film. It's what, sequence what is very memorable. I think, because going back to what you said about how the opening sequence sort of lacks plausibility because of the lack of cars and the lack of people, I think that didn't bother me so much because it does, you know, it's incredibly memorable and it lends itself to this sort of atmosphere. Yeah, and... I think, no, with the opening scene, I don't have a problem at all. Oh, because okay. in the city of right. London, that's what it would look like and we know that's okay. what it looks like now. Right. But for the rest of the film, where is everybody? Yeah. Because, you know, in a country of 70 million people, they didn't all go. Um, and if they're all dead, where are they? Where are the bodies? Um, and I, but I think the opening scene is, is memorable and fine. But for me, I saw that in Day of the Triffids. Almost exactly the same. And it's, yeah. you know, and it's repeated and it's very good. And I like Cleo Murphy. But I've seen that before. It's actually. interesting watching it. I had this looming feeling of like, oh, okay, this is the way it's directed is a bit shabby, but I guess it's good for a first film. And then I remembered that, hold on, Danny Boyle made train nice spotting <laughs> six years before this. And it's like, a shallow it's, grave as well. It's imagine, oh, wow, like, yeah. imagine finding out that Christopher Nolan made following after Memento. Like, you'd be less forgiving of it, I think. I, I, think, I think it is directed very well because, like, the. the 
the way it's shot is a great directorial decision. Um, yeah. It's just, I again, I think it's just watching this film after seeing any other zombie-based bit of media, it just taints it quite a bit, I yeah. think. Um, the other thing I really uh, yeah. like about it, the one thing that would make me watch it again, is you can almost see my office when he's walking through London at the beginning. And it's like, oh, look, wow. look, look. Oh, we've missed well, it. It's, didn't they, they said they like shot it at like 5am in the morning or something because that's the only time they can get London quiet, which yeah. I refuse to believe yeah. like, outside I, of lockdown situations. Yeah, because I thought it was <laughs> just a case, I thought it was a case that they spent a lot of the budget on that one scene, like a vanilla sky kind of nope. thing. Okay. No, they just managed to catch it where no one, yeah. uh, no one was about. Um, oh, I keep my point pops up and then it keeps disappearing. I'm going through a brain blank today. Oh yes, uh, one thing I I think that because uh, Danny Boyle does experiment with a lot of different genres, but one thing that stays within all those films is that he's he's just quite a he has quite a dark taste because <laughs> with like there's dark stuff in Sunshine which we've alluded to in the third act, but like. With this, like the the chimpanzees are terrifying in the beginning, but also yeah. Christopher Eccleston's character and his motivations are disgusting. And it's like, how did that manage to make it into a, a mainstream film? It's, it's like very he, troubling, he sneaks yeah. very like, uh, what's the word? Like taboo things in giant projects or projects that become giant at, uh, later on because of how popular they are. Because like Train Spotting, super dark, and then the film we're going to in, later on will, has some dark elements, yeah, but yeah. he manages to weave his own dark, uh, I wouldn't say sense of humour, but is just uh, sense of of just dark, scenes of dark nature or hinting at that within these films. And I'd say particularly for the opening with just how scary he makes the chimpanzees look and with Christopher Eccleston's motivations that get revealed, I'm like, ugh, I felt felt really (laughs) uncomfortable. Yeah, it it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is good at being a villain, though, I think, Christopher Eccleston. He is quite menacing. I I liked him a lot. I thought there was a range in performances throughout the film. Like I've said before, I think Killian Murphy was a bit bland. Like, he's solid, but I felt like he didn't add or take away from the film. I it's kind of like just like the blank slate protagonist. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Brendan Gleeson was probably my favourite. Um, Naomi Harris was interesting. I thought she was... I thought she was great. I thought she was good. I felt some of her dialogue felt a bit forced, but I don't know if that was a script thing or, or her. But... <laughs> so, like, one line of dialogue I thought that was really forced is, like, apparently really influential. So, you know where... Uh, She's talking about how Brendan Gleeson's family may need us more than they need, uh, yes. you know, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen King l- loves this film and loves that quote so much that he put it in Doctor Sleep or paraphrased oh, it. I, I didn't know it's that. Just like, I, and again, it's like, that quote must have been really good at the time, but again, because <laughs> films have come out afterwards, I'm like, this is rubbish. <laughs> and going back Not to, the film, yeah. the quote, like, it's yeah, just... Yeah. Like, it's become cliche due to other stuff. So it's like, I don't know how to criticise the film because I'm criticising it through a lens of seeing things that have come after it. Ex- yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, and yeah. like, going back to the performances, I don't like, you know, talking badly about child actors, but I think the actor I was gonna, who played yeah, I was Brendan Gleeson's daughter <laughs> was quite bad, I thought. I'm, I, I'm trying not to say this in a horrible way, but every line right. she said sounded very wooden. And she had so, her character had so many bad things happen to her, and I should have sympathised with her, but because of how just forced she played it, it just I, I, didn't... I don't know how to criticise it because it's such a, there's so many variables with that, right? Because they're all good child actors. But well, then... yeah, exactly. It's not just an age thing because I was saying to my mum before that I don't like 
critiquing child actors, but uh, you know, I've seen younger child actors do better performances. So Jacob Tremblay is like the best. Jacob Tremblay, yeah, <laughs> or the, like the kid from Kramer versus Kramer. Like, right, there right. are so many examples. I'm yet to see Millions. That's a Danny Boyle film I really want to see. Oh yeah, uh, it's I'll his only kids' one. film supposedly, and that's why he oh. really wanted to do it. Um, I don't know that one. What What's really interesting is that with. Just going back to Sunshine, he he said he'd never do a sci-fi ever again because it's it's he found it so exhausting. Doesn't mm. Twenty Eight Days Later count as a sci-fi? Yeah, well, he did does. it before Sunshine, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but he, I think he was saying that Sunshine was the first time he did it, and that he oh, doesn't want to do it again. I it's think, like, yeah, it kind of counts as sci-fi. Right. I yeah. guess it it's doesn't have a space subgenre, isn't it? I guess of sci-fi yeah. horror yeah. kind of thing. Um, hmm. Yeah. What other? It's, yeah, so it's a random one, but. You know, even though we've we've talked about, we've criticised Killian Murphy's um, kind of arc or just his character type, but I think he's his solid Danny Boyle lead. I want to see him he in has, more Danny Boyle films. He has a good presence, I think. Like he has a very memorable face, and like he's he's just, got very blue eyes. <laughs> he's he's good. He's very watchable in films he's in. Right. I think my main criticism about him was due to how his character was written. I think, and like right. he isn't given much to do apart from say sarcastic things and. Sure. be Rambo like you said but yeah. I think I don't know maybe it was refreshing was... to see a skinny Rambo like it was it was, was it your typical action hero body type or anything like, that was refreshing yeah. for me I haven't yeah. seen like, Peaky Blinders I don't know how good he is in that but... he's he's very good in Peaky Blinders he plays against like what you th- see Killian Murphy as though oh, okay. like, he's not a nerdy looking he doesn't look like how Killian Murphy looks in other films or sounds um, yeah and I like Peaky Blinders is very good but I feel like that show slowly kind of, the more popular it got, the more it kind of ate itself. And that's all I'm going to okay. elaborate on it because <laughs> I'll, I'll complain about that film, uh, that series behind closed doors. And Dad, um, have you seen him in Speaking of complaining. <laughs> um, uh, what, Killian Murphy, yeah. uh, let me think. Uh, well, the Batman, he's in Batman. Oh, oh yeah, Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. Yeah. He's yeah. good in that. Yeah. I like yeah. him in that. And I think Bre- yeah. uh, Brendan Gleeson is brilliant in lots of films. Oh, I love but him. I'm not oh, sure yeah. South London Taxi Driver was. No. The, why, yeah. why pick him? It was Let Brendan Gleeson have his own voice. Right, that's exactly. That's exactly, yeah. exactly yeah. what I thought. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. But, you, um, wrapping that what up, I was I saying think. earlier, speaking of complaining, we're going to go into our, our next film, and I yes. just want to preface with how I viewed the first... Uh, the, 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 the uh, films two and three, because uh, of schedules, it was very down to the wire. So I've double-billed 28 Days Later in Trance, and I, I think that may leak into how we talk about it because it's a bit more reactionary on my end um, let's, let's go into it i'm excited wow <laughs> but before i guess before we go into that i'll, I'll quickly pop oh, yeah. in the google synopsis yeah. Yeah. um it says uh while try while trying to recover a lost painting a fine art auctioneer ends up seeking help from a hypnotherapist the stakes rise higher as his mind swings between reality desire and fantasy this came out in 2013 and it was filmed in in and uh, it, before and in between uh, when Danny Boyle was directing the uh, the Olympics opening ceremony, mm. um, and I feel like that's probably one of the criticisms because I have because it it's him just having fun, and because how he's done done that, where it's way more stylistic and just like yeah having fun, uh, the characters uh, I I think are, are not as well formed. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? I um. So this is one of my favourite films. And oh, okay. I, and and so, but don't hold back. 
Um, and so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I was. Be nice. <laughs> I was. I was. As I said at the beginning, really, I was a little anxious that if I watched it more critically, I might not love it so much. And right. I watched it critically, and I still love it. Um, okay. But it made me think about what I like about it, and it is fun. I find it, although there's there is darkness, as you say, in this. I think it's clever and funny. Um, and I like, we, we have to be careful how we talk about it because there are it's, so many yeah. plot twists it's and, a minefield, and, yeah. and reveals, etc. <laughs> I think luckily if we set the parameters of like, we can talk about what's been promoted and, and yeah. Yeah. like what's been in trailers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think Danny Boyle's said it's like, like he, he doesn't mind people knowing that uh, it, the main like uh, goal, goal of the film is to this hypnotherapist trying to help him find the painting is yeah. the, the, the main yeah. thing because that's like act um, one I guess so that's not a but I, yeah. I think it is fun and I think it's clever um, and I remember when I watched it the first time I, it, it was like whoa hang on a second really wow and I thought that was a really I thought the twist was clever and the, the sort of the reprise of, of things that you'd seen earlier in the film and you go back and you think oh now I get it now I get it now I get it and we talked about this before, about a film with a twist. If it's a, a good film with a twist, is one that makes you go back and think, oh, yeah, now I see that. Now I right. see it differently. Now I see it differently. And, that, and this film does that for me. I think the other thing that I like about it, it it's a caper. It's a, you know, it's a heist movie. And there's darkness in it and, and some unpleasantness. But it's a caper um, when all's said and done. And I really like the actors in it. Um, and even down to some of the bit part actors, like the gang. So, so Vincent Cassell is what I just really, really like. Um, and although he is kind of a baddie, I find him sympathetic and, and I root for him. And his misfit gang of hoodlums, I think, are brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought the gang were really good. I, I wish I knew their names, though. Yeah, <laughs> but I think, yes, I'm, again, I've, I've seen some of them in other things, I'm yeah, fairly I sure. Seen them. I think um, I saw a bit of trivia that uh, two of the henchmen have both been in Misfits like through different seasons. So I, it, I only watched Misfits uh, until it became bad, so I, I may have missed, <laughs> yeah. missed them. But um, before I go into where I'm standing with it at the moment, what, what do you think, Matt, as well? Uh, Special so, rewatch. So yeah, this is an interesting one for me because for a while this was a film I absolutely adored. I loved it. I what I um, I think Dad, you introduced it to me when I was just starting college, mm -hmm. possibly, and I, I loved the film. I really did like. I remember hearing about the premise before watching the film, and I thought this sounds like a really fun premise that could be dealt with in like a really fun, almost farcical way. Because it's like he has to find a painting, but he needs to remember, but he can't reveal too much. Otherwise, you know, they'll find out. It's like something, it made me think of something you might find in an Ealing comedy or something like a crime drama, but with a bit of farce to it. Yeah. And, you know, the film's first half hour is like that. And then it kind of goes in another direction, which I won't divulge. And right. yeah, like go, going back, watching it, I think it has lost its magic a bit for me a little bit. I don't love it as much as I used to, like you do. Mm -hmm. Um, things I do like about it, I like Danny Boyle's direction to it. It's very sort of in your face, which I like about his style of direction. I think the core premise is still pretty interesting. And again, I love the actors in it and their performances, especially James McAvoy. I think he carries this film on his shoulders. I think he's great in it. Uh, the weakness of this film for me, I think, is how the characters are written. 
especially right. James McAvoy's character and Vincent Cassell's character, because, again, not spoiling too much about the ending of the film, but the way their characters are dealt with by the end. So starting off with James McAvoy's character, I think he, you're, meant, you're made to sympathise with him for the majority of this film, and then by the end, it kind of strips that away for me anyway. That's what I found. Like, I was rooting for this character, and then by the end, I have... I felt I had no reason to root for him at all. Like it was all stripped away and then it's the way he's dealt with at the end is kind of rushed and a bit bad, I thought. And Vincent Cassell was a weird one. I made a note while watching it that I wasn't sure what to think of his character. Right, because he right. starts off as, like you said, he's a bad guy. He's like a thug, basically. And he's not really an emotional character. He's an obstacle in the film, basically. He's James McAvoy's obstacle as a character, right. which is what I felt. Yeah. And then... He kind of we're meant to sympathize with him a bit, I guess, because he has some little moments with Rosario Dawson's character where he's like, "Oh, I, you know, I want to make sure you're protected," and it's like that felt a bit out of character for me for right. for his character. And then at the end, he sort of gets, you know, the way he's dealt with at the end, I felt was a bit rushed and um, kind of not fitting with what his character was set up to be. And I felt the ending in general was kind of like there's. Again, trying not to spoil it, but the yeah, ending yeah. has a very just... jarring shift in tone, I think. Yeah. And it's very abrupt, and it just didn't feel right to me. That's interesting about I... your take on the two, those two characters, yeah. because James McAvoy is one of my favourite, favourite actors. Yeah. And, yeah. and I can't he's think of anything good. I've seen in, him in that I didn't love. And yeah. in, in this film, he's brilliant, yeah. and I don't like the character from quite early. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't have any sympathy for him. I, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and whereas Vincent Cassell, who is also brilliant in, in the things I've seen him in, um, I'm sympathetic, notwithstanding the fact that he's a, he's a hoodlum, there is something more three-dimensional and engaging about him that makes me think, right. I like him. I want him to come out of this well. That's interesting. Um, I got the opposite yeah. with those two. I got the complete opposite. That's and I think because there is something about James McAvoy's character that is shallow and slippery... Mm. and and self-serving um and that comes out reasonably early in right, in the right. movie i think maybe because he it, gives a warmer performance in the film i was more drawn to him i think because vincent cassell is very sort of cold and yeah. standoffish and maybe i was drawn more to mcavoy's because he's has a lot more emotion yeah, in the yeah. film and maybe i was drawn to that more but uh, sorry joe you had a point i was i was gonna say this <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling it's a lot of points to take in to soak up and rebuttal because yeah, i'm like, trying to remember that <laughs> but like so i where do i start <laughs> i i again it may be a bit more reactionary on my behalf because i've just seen it but i uh, similar to you like i like the actors performances but i don't like the characters yes whether or not that's intentional or not is uh neither here or there for me because there was no redeeming factors with them. Like, mm. yes, Danny Boyle does like making characters that are a bit questionable and a bit dark, and there are a lot of dark sensibilities within this. A lot of people, a lot of the characters are quite deprived, which is refreshing for like having three leads that you're meant to like root for or go against, but then the ones you're going against are changing how you feel. But I, I just, there was nothing redeeming for me. Yeah. Um, going off of James, the James McAvoy's performance, I, I like that he, uh, Danny Boyle lets him use his normal accent. That was great, because usually he's doing other accents. Um, this film was very critically panned at the time, but 
it doesn't help that it came out the same year as Welcome to the Punch, which also stars James McAvoy and is also very critically panned, and the posters are very similar. Oh, so I feel really? like <laughs> that may have a bit of like leak into people's uh, like uh, thoughts of it, impressions of it, because they may think it's you know Welcome to the Punch <laughs> rather than uh, Trance. But um, I I didn't like any of the characters whatsoever. Um, the and stylistically, yeah, this is a lot more stereotypically Danny Boyle than that. The opening reminds me a lot of Train Spotting, where it has uh, the voiceover saying and 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 montage. Um, however, uh, I think with this one, I, where was my point going? Um, this one's a lot more cleaner than Twenty Eight Days Later. It's still, still the same DP, but it's a, a lot more uh, high definition. But yeah. like this one, it's just I. Again, it's him trying to have fun, but the the problem with that he's, is that he's trying so many different things throughout this entire film, not just with the story, but stylistically. Like, it's like, we'll cut to a Dutch angle uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Or, That's uh, very he does, this, yeah. he does this in all three of these films where he either like, throws in some step printing uh, or like stop motion or a weird like eye illusion things so it's like increased shutter speed or something isn't it something like yeah that. but yeah. but like another example would be like so with sunshine uh we won't talk about the villain but a lot of the time to hide the villain and the only way i can describe this is like you know when you get watery eyes and you can see two of yeah, yeah what yeah. you're seeing uh he does that a lot to hide things and it, yes. it happens a lot within this and it's a fun action film type thing but the danny boyle experimental elements kind of mess up the film instead of being like uh new like uh refreshing like the film has a lot of surreal elements mixed into a oh it's a fun action film and it's it does it's i think it teeters between the two uh very like uh what's the word it it struggles to do both yeah. or, or do one or the other i think personally just um, um oh sorry go on uh, i was just gonna say one quick thing with vincent cassell i don't know if it's I think he's better when he's uh, speaking French when he's acting in in, in French because like mm. Lehane is such a better performance for me. Whereas with this and like Oceans, I feel like things get lost in translation or the script muddies the delivery. I don't, I don't, it's a nitpick, but I I don't know. I I, str I struggled with him as the. Vi I like that the vi like they try and muddy the villain as like, is he a goodie? Is he a baddie? Throughout, but because of all these twists and turns it's just a lot of it's just hard to follow and and you don't necessarily get the payoff that the film wants you to have yeah. um what were you what were you gonna say there? uh just because you said early on uh, you said it reminded you a bit of train spotting and it reminded me of the fact that it has uh, one of the same writers as train spotting okay. john hodge right. um just a little bit of history about the film so um it was this writer joe ahern i think i, I don't mm. know how to pronounce his name he wrote the script of the film and then John Hodge was brought on as like a script doctor for it, and yeah, that, that was my uh, one of the points. So, which just... which one did Train Spotting? Uh, John Hodge. Okay, he was well, brought like, on The opening to... is very similar to Train Spotting. Yeah, yeah, the sort of monologue. <laughs> but so yeah, the psychological thriller stuff. I I I really want Danny Boyle to do a Bond film, and he was going to. Yeah, he was. And yeah. You you can see elements of that in this. Yeah. yeah, but it gets distracted. It gets like that stuff gets like attacked with all this uh, random surreal stuff, and yeah. it do it just doesn't work for me. And and I feel like 
a lot of people may say of like, oh, certain things may be referenced to to the origins of the paintings or the Goya paintings and stuff like that, but that's further research you have to do in order to enjoy it for me. <laughs> yeah, um, a bit too esoteric. I, I, I don't know. Like, so, uh, Mike, what do you think it, uh, in regards to, like, uh, how the characters are, are dealt with? Because I feel like at times... So Danny Boyle said, like, he he's never directed a film with a female lead and this is one of the reasons why he wanted to do it. I felt like this is quite a sexist portrayal of someone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what do you think of how Rosario Dawson's character is dealt with and just the th- the trio in general? Because it's kind of just like a trio piece. So trying yeah, to- no, I, and I think... Whether, I can't remember which of you said it earlier on, which was about they changed their places in your affections throughout the film. Yeah. And except for me, James McAvoy's character doesn't because I never really like him. And, right. and the reason I don't like him becomes more evident when the story unfolds. Um, but for Rosario Dawson and Vincent Cassell's characters, I'm, I start off more sympathetic with them and I never lose the sympathy for, for either of them. So I'm, I'm much more um, constant in my uh, sort of admiration of the different characters, I think. Although I, the, he does play with you on all of that. As, and it, you know, who's the baddie and who's the goodie sort of thing does run through it. But that adds to it for me. I like it because it, it, it keeps you on your toes um, and it keeps you thinking. Um, but the James McAvoy character um, never... I, I'm, there isn't a point in the film where I feel I'm rooting for him. Right. Um, even I think from it, yeah. the very beginning. Um, I think uh, they try to, though, throughout, and then it gets kind of more unraveled. But it's yeah. just... Like, I guess where... I guess there's sympathetic elements for the other characters, but I just felt... I just felt like they were all kind of really nasty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they all have yeah. a, a distinctly nasty streak, that's for sure. Um, right. And But I think some, occasionally... Because there's humour in the film, and that yeah. helps enormously for me. Um, and because it's clever, I still think the film... I know it goes in lots of different directions at, at different times, but I like that. I think that makes that just makes it interesting and entertaining for me and, and fun. Um, and so, yeah, the, the fact that it's like a three-card trick trying to find out who the baddie is. <laughs> it's, um, right, yeah. And, and, but I quite like that. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Going back, if what I could... Do... Sorry? No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to make a quick comment about the gang, Vincent Cassell's yes. gang. You both really like the gang. I've, I didn't really care about them at all. You have the three main characters who are really, like, you know, they're imperfectly written characters, but at least they're distinct. Like, with the gang, right. they were all completely interchangeable to me. And it made me think of, like, something like Train Spotting, where that cast includes, like, a gang of characters who are all a bit similar, but at least you can tell them apart and they're distinct and they all have their own little personalities. Whereas I felt like the gang in this one, they're all kind of, it's three of them, isn't it? I think. That's a good question. Yeah. You make make the point really well. We don't even know how many they were. They're just kind of a mass of people. And they just, they they just felt, they filled out a henchman role. Yeah. Yeah. And they could have been a bit more than that. I felt like, I know the film's already doing a lot with its insane plot and sort of triangle of interconnected characters, but I felt like the gang, could have been a bit more than just kind of three lumbering men. Yeah. Or four I don't think lumbering I, men. They, they won't get a I, spin I like, off. No, they absolutely <laughs> yeah. won't. I, I, I like them for the most part until the last act, and I can't really go into that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just like, they, just, oh, we need some yeah. threat now, is what I got from them. Yeah, yeah they became um, deplorable, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, dang. I can't find any trivia for this. Uh, nope. uh, fun uh, fact about this film. This was originally yeah. a TV film. So like I said before, the scriptwriter of it, Joe... I still don't know how to pronounce his name. Joe uh-huh. Ahern. Ahern. Uh-huh. Joe Ahern. He wrote the script for this film and he gave it to Danny Boyle. And I think Danny Boyle said that it would be a bit challenging for a first-time screenwriter. So he made it into a TV film at first ages ago I don't know how successful that TV film was but then did he it get it. made? Did yes that... it oh, get wow. made I, I saw it it, oh, was wow. on, it was on Letterboxd if you type in Trance on Letterboxd you'll find it there I, I haven't seen it I know nothing about it other than it's like that with it's Heat yeah Heat it is like TV Heat film as well. yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, um, but yeah then John Hodge was brought along as the script doctor to kind yeah. of make amendments be the co-writer of it yeah. The Wikipedia keeps talking about the paintings a lot, and I just, I, I, I there's no point going into the meanings of the paintings. I'm and not how an artist. Because it's, it's too intertextual for me. Oh, there's uh, one, there's, yeah. Sorry, go on. There, just a quick tidbit of, like, character actors that were meant to be in the film originally. Michael Fassbender was meant to be Frank. Uh, Colin Firth was meant to be uh, considered before Vincent Cassell's part. And mm. Scarlett Johansson and Zoe Saldana and Melanie Thierry? I don't know who she is, French actress, uh, were considered for Dawson's part. Yeah. Uh, it's just a little tidbit. Um, Danny Boyle and yeah. Rosario Dawson were an item, weren't they, for a while as well? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Damn. Well, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, I know that was that. my reaction. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, <laughs> if you're listening, Danny, fair play. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I first heard about this film... Uh, due to the Graham Norton show because they had James McAvoy on, uh, Alan Davies and Quentin Tarantino. It was such a random wow. cast of people. Um, yeah. Uh, and I forgot the point. Also. I'm having so many brain blanks today. Uh, yeah, like... I, I, I don't think the film will stay with me for long. I don't know why. I think... Cause, I don't. I, I don't mean to just like attack because like you like this film, but like uh, I I found out that Como said Mark Como said the film was very hollow, and I kind of agree in that. I get that. It's 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 trying certain things, but if you re- like, I guess if you're really to like nitpick at it, it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for me. A lot of it just felt like twist within a twist within a twist within a twist for the sake of it, and. It didn't have the, the thing you were mentioning earlier of a satisfying twist when you you realise why that twist would make sense and why you'd have that payoff because it does so many instead yeah. of the one big one. I mean, it it does do the one big one, but that one is led up by so many mini ones and the confusion of what's real and what isn't because yeah. there's like multiple hypnotherapy sequences where James Ma- like we're hypnotising James McAvoy and then we're going into what he's thinking and he's going around trying to figure out it, it, there's. It was a bit inceptiony for me in that way, I guess. Yeah. What did you guys think of the hypnotherapy sequences? I thought they were cool. I thought they were cool-looking sequences. I get what you mean. It's a little bit jarring sometimes in that, you know, what is real, what isn't. But I guess that sort of adds to the sort of discomfort in the film. Because I think it is an uncomfortable film to watch. There's a lot of violence and, you know, there's a lot of of ugliness. Intrigue. And I think those sort of sequences... Danny Boyle directs them really well. He adds a lot of surreal... He, he's them. got to do a Bond film. I'm he so really does. They cancelled his Bond film because, yeah, like I, lo- I, I'm looking forward to this new one, but it, he would have done something really cool with it. Yeah. And he, also, he was going to get uh, the guy from Cold War. I just really wanted to see. Oh yeah. How that pair. Thomas uh, Cat. Tom be. Yeah. There's um. But, 
there's one scene in this film which I mentioned to you after seeing it that was meant to be this big emotional scene, but I felt was kind of silly. Yeah. You know which scene I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Sorry, which... I just got to quickly address. If you guys hear any hammering for some reason out all days to re- like to do this, we've Danny Boyle's come around. <laughs> Danny, yeah, Danny Boyle. He heard you what we were saying. He's breaking through. Um, yeah, Danny Boyle is now a builder outside, and he's angry. <laughs> so if you if you didn't notice, a lot of the time in the podcast, we we increasingly go mad when recording, and this is, this <laughs> it's is the descent know, into madness, isn't it? That sort of downward yeah. spiral into insanity. <laughs> what is? I'm just trying to see what Danny Boyle's doing next, because this was 2013. Um, he was. He did entertain the idea of doing a 28 Days Later sequel because there was one uh, directed by someone else called 28... Uh, weeks. Yeah, I think I mixed later. them up. 20, 28 Weeks Later. And then he was thinking about doing 28 Months or Years Later or something. <laughs> but it didn't... It didn't uh, That's one for Link Later, I think. <laughs> yeah. The latest film he did was Yesterday and he's got another film coming up that I cannot pronounce. It's Meth- Methuselah. And Methuselah. it just says TBA and he it doesn't... I'm, I'm going to try and further research uh, that, but the oldest person guess... in uh, the oldest person in the Bible, Methuselah. Oh right, there, there we go. are. Yeah, fair play. Uh, I I I wonder how Danny Boyle did with religion. Twenty eight hundred years later. <laughs> oh, with Michael B. Jordan. That is very interesting. Okay. The basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> the B stands for basketball. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess. If you were to, like, sell this film to other people, Mike, a.k.a. me, uh, no, um, <laughs> what's, your, what's your pitch for people going into this film? As in, why should they see this film outside of other Danny Boyle films? Um, the cast, uh, it's fun and clever. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, it will, I think, keep you on the edge of your seat and it will take you by surprise, would be the, the simple things I'd say. And... I remember when I watched it the first time, I was terribly confused by it and, and the hypnotherapy within a hypnotherapy and all of that layering of stories and whose perspective you're seeing things through, I found terribly confusing. But it made me want to watch it again. Um, it's like Tenet, isn't it? You have to watch it well three times to, I, yeah, to get anything maybe I'll watch it. Tenet again. <laughs> um, but no, I think you, I would recommend it for the twists, which I know maybe there are too many, but I, for the story... <laughs> The cleverness and the performances. Yeah, and the, and it's... I think in general it's a good conversation starter because we yeah. can we can afterwards you you got like any like if you're watching it with, with a group of people or whatnot you can just kind of discuss like where where certain things yeah. led to. Um, I probably would need to rewatch it, I guess, because again this is for me with first impressions rather reactionary. But yeah, no, it did. It's yeah, the twists provide a lot of conversation in general. What. So how were how were your guys, did you guys immediately chat about it afterwards? What were your first impressions on rewatch or yeah after rewatching it? I think because we've seen it together a number of times, yeah. so I think we were pretty clear on each other's views on it. Um, okay. And I think the one the film that we talked of the three that we've talked about today, the one that we talked about afterwards most was probably Sunshine. I think. Yeah. I, I think. thought it was Trance. Or maybe it was. Oh, maybe. I can't remember I'm that. Because sure. my opinion changed the most with Trance, yeah. I would say. Like, with the other two, I think Sunshine, like I said, stayed the same. 28 Days Later likes it a bit less than before, and Trance was the biggest change in yeah. view, I think, yeah. for me. Okay. 
Um, Matt, would you pitch this to people? Or you... I think, yeah, I'd, it's a very, I think it's an imperfect film, but I would recommend people watch it for, like you said, the performances. And I think the way it's directed is very eye-catching and very watchable. And watch it, yeah, for the twists. I think although the twists are very <laughs> complex and, you yeah. know, there's a lot going on, I think it is definitely worth a watch. I would I would recommend this to people. Yeah. So I think... This this like iPads must have been a lot more popular around this time because the film uses a lot of iPads yes. as like story <laughs> story device. Well, I think... Oh, I was just going to say something about that just really quickly because yeah. I'm the the product placement thing as which I know is a, a thing in films. Pepsi in Twenty Eight Days Later. Yes, Were they I actually in... went out and got a Coke after watching <laughs> that scene. I hate how influ- like easily influenced I am, but I was very tired and Killian Murphy just chugging that Pepsi. I was like, I'm going to go get Pepsi just sugar. kept coming I around they, again yeah. and again. And I wondered if, if Apple was sponsoring Trance because yeah. of the sort of iPad showroom that it turned into in various points. Yeah. I, there's, Apple have a weird rule at the moment. It, it got found out because of uh, Knives Out, but basically a villain can never have an Apple phone. That's their rule <laughs> if you're going to show oh, wow. show their device. I don't know how true it is with this one, but yeah. Only I... bad people have androids. <laughs> yeah. It's just them doing like subtle jabs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think we've covered a good gamut of films. Like, yeah. like, because Danny Boyle has such an experimental style and does many different genres, similar to other directors that we've discussed before, we will do next episode. The more a director tries a lot of random different genres and tries different stuff out there'll be more holes to pick with it and they won't be all the way perfect but it's because of that it uh the imperfect stuff that makes them a good director in the first place because there are films you can go that's you wouldn't know that as a danny boyle film but because of that it's a lot more impressive like steve jobs a lot of people wanted that to be immediately david fincher and danny boyle made that his own um yeah, it's it, like the, these films, like, uh, even though there's stuff that doesn't entirely work uh, for me personally, that there will be stuff for other people to go to go look forward to. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think in terms of Danny Boyle's experimentation? Just really quick. I think uh, from my, my view, I think there's always a lot going on. And, and as you say, so there's always, you know, we've talked for an hour about these three films right. and we could talk for another hour. I mean, there is a lot yeah. going on in each of them. And some of it makes you despair because you think how stupid, how silly. And some of you <laughs> think, some of it you think how very, very clever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I like the range. I'm, I'm learning more about films by talking to Matthew and talking to you now. Oh, um, <laughs> and so the appreciation of the thing you've just said about the way you identify what's a Danny Boyle film hadn't struck me until we did this sort of these three films in a row and you look at the lighting and you look at the way it's the way the camera angles move and, and so on and so on. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a big, I am no less a big fan of Danny Boyle now having been more sort of critically aware than I was before. Mm. I think there's, I like the range. I like the variety. I like all the stuff that's going on and he picks great mm. actors. He does. Definitely. He's, he's, he, 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 yeah, his actor choice is great. Um, Matt, what what would you say in regards to Danny Boyle's experiments? I I yeah, again, I feel the same way about him. I've noticed that the common thread with the notes I wrote about all three films is that 
my complaints about them were largely on a script level and a lot of the compliments I had of the films were due to the direction. So I think even when Danny Ball has a slightly iffy script, I think his, his style often saves the film, I think, because it, it makes it a lot more watchable, I think. And it's, it's just interesting seeing that. And yeah, yeah I, I, I like him a lot as a director. I think I've gained more appreciation as, uh, for him as a director after talking about him and watching more of his films. And yeah, no, I, I really like him and I'm looking forward to see what yeah. he does next. I think it's like the fact that he experiments is such a good thing because if he was just to stick with one style, all these famous auteur directors, when they do that, they become parodies of themselves. And I yeah. don't know how you could say Danny Boyle's become that because he's tried so many different things. It's very similar to him, Ben Wheatley and Steven Soderbergh are in the same yeah. category for me. I guess a tiny bit, uh, David Cronenberg as well. But like, they're the quote-unquote auteur directors yet they you can't pin them down into one bracket and that's that what that's what makes all these films yeah. good in each in in their own ways um yeah so uh places to check them out they're all on youtube movies to rent um or if you find a charity shop that does danny boyle films for <laughs> one pound uh, there you go um, I, I rented the other two, but there, there, there we go. Um, I don't know if they're on stream, certain streaming services uh, uh, that I know of. They're, they're on, so we watched 28 Days Later on Amazon, I think. Mm-hmm. R- right, but that was but, to rent, yeah, right? it was to rent like, it, yeah, I don't yeah. know if something's on Prime or Netflix yet. Um, um, depending no, on I don't the think so. Area code, whatever. But um, yeah, just it's worth renting, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, whoever's doing the broccolis, can you please... Uh, get Danny Boyle back on Bond, because that's, that's, <laughs> that make me want to see Bond. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a really lovely chat. It's been nice dissecting yeah. this. And, Thank uh, you for, for the invitation, because it, I say I, I was a bit fearful that I would learn to hate the movies <laughs> I had loved, um, and that didn't happen. And it, it does, you do look at films differently, knowing that you need to speak to people who know what they're talking about. Um, Definitely. And it added... Um, to the enjoyment it didn't take away so I'm grateful for that thanks I've really enjoyed this I've enjoyed having you here dad <laughs> yeah I'll be here all week no, I mean on this episode I mean it's, oh, I it's really nice we, it's we my talk, house we talk about films a lot and you kind of sparked my interest in films so having you on this podcast is really nice yeah no it's been fun kind of the reason I study film you and mum are the reason I study oh. film so so blame, what the show's blame all about is family values family values it's, it's <laughs> funny because um, we've been <laughs> Uh, we've actually been like told about how we're like too too nice on the films that we talk about, and that we kind of need to go into them a bit more. So I think too apologetic think a... was the thing. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. I, yeah. I guess I I always just have that worry that I'm going to bump into the filmmaker or something. Well, Danny Boyle's outside <laughs> building a shed or yeah, something exactly. now. So yeah, you be it, careful. It, it, apparently, he's like one of the most approachable directors ever. Like my um oh. my film studies college teacher uh, mentioned about how he like. Uh, saw him in a pub and had a beer with him and he was like one of the nicest directors you ever meet so Danny Boyle if you ever find yourself listening to a film podcast with two two uni students um, you know don't hesitate to come on the show <laughs> and yeah uh, it's been a really lovely episode and I think that we should say those I'll leave Matt to say those three fateful words uh, that's a wrap folks <laughs> 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 alright